Why don't we pray at the beginning of our message today and, uh, and let's look to God to continue to lead us. So God, we thank you just for being together. We thank you for our mums as we've already prayed. We thank you for women uh, in our congregation and girls in our congregation. We ask blessing, Lord, in, uh, on this special day. And uh, we pray indeed for our whole congregation and people, Lord, people who are here, people who are away. Um, Lord, we ask that you'd watch over us. You'd draw close. We could hear your voice. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I love Mother's Day at church and some of the other significant days that we do from time to time. I know it can be fraught with difficulties for people if you've lost a mum or if there, are, if there are some issues around that. But it's, it's also, from my point of view, a day that we can celebrate and we can pray and we can bless a particular group of people. And at, at the end of today's message, I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to pray for another group of people, our, our nurses and our carers. It was Nurses Day yesterday and, and I'd love us to pray for our carers. And so at the end of the message, I want to do that. But, but but for mums today and, and women in general today, I, I trust you feel blessed. I trust you feel um, at least, you know, kind of that, that in the commercialism that is Mother's Day, a, a wee bit of a focus would say yes, yes, and yes. Um, as I thought about Mother's Day um, over the last two or three weeks, the phrase that came up to me was the inspiration of women. It was one of those messages that comes from the title rather than from the scripture or rather than from any other source. And it, it came to mind, and I thought today would be a good opportunity for me to share something of my own journey um, in understanding uh, women and women in ministry and women in leadership to some degree um, as hopefully a helpful process within our church and to bless our women in the process. And if I kind of get any of my I's dotted wrong and T's crossed wrong today, it's because I'm a middle-aged man, you might have noticed, in talking about these things. But the messages come forward, women of Shaw Vineyard, come forward, girls and daughters of Shaw Vineyard. My goodness, we need you. So that's, that's the message, that's the punchline um, if everything else doesn't quite work out. So my story, my story comes in different threads and I'll share a few threads with me today because I, I mean, I've been pastoring for a long time, obviously, but I, I couldn't even have said that last sentence necessarily at the beginning of my pastoral life, at the beginning of my Christian life and experience. When I first became a Christian, I was in a church and, and it was far more male-dominated than, I, than, I, than what I have come to sort of expect or, or, or think is the right thing now. Our pastor was the sort of person who said, and this, this is virtually quote-unquote, he go, um, some people say I'm, I'm a bit anti-women, but, but I'm married to a woman, you know, kind of thing, so I'm not against women. And we would kind of cringe even in the early 1980s like you're probably cringing now and think oh I don't, I don't think he's supposed to say that and I don't think that's particularly helpful but it was the culture that indeed that we were in. I was part of a minister's association, minister's fraternal it was called, fraternal is a very male word if you know the origin of it and um, the head of that um, minister's fraternal, minister's association was a wonderful Anglican lady minister called Lorraine Lloyd. Um, some of you will know her from Birkdale Beachhaven Anglican um, uh, Parish and um, she always said it. We were in her home one day and another male minister said to her, you know, Lorraine, you, uh, this is my paraphrase, but the, but the punchline's true, um, is, you know, kind of you seem to do a really good job, but how do you deal with all those scriptures that say you're not supposed to be doing the job that you're doing? And it's kind of like we as, as men sat around and watched 
this woman minister try and explain her way out of a calling. And that's what I remember her saying. It's like, you know, kind of, well, that's really tough, but I do have a sense of calling. And I thought she was heroic when she did that. But that's something I've never had to, tra- you know, traverse in my entire, no, nobody's ever said, I'm not sure that you should be able to do what you do because you're a man. But women have experienced that. So in my, you know, kind of, I'm getting on in years, I suppose, but it's not that long in terms of church history. In my experience, I have seen some of those as as um, sort of factors in life. I have some influential women in my life who I want to sort of um, talk to you about, a couple of them anyway. Um, So there's my mother, there's my wife and my daughter. I hope you can work out which is which if you haven't met them before. So the men are not my mother, um, my my wife or my daughter. Um, my mother turns 90 in two weeks' time. So she's pretty amazing. Um, I was in Indonesia towards the end of last year and I get a call from Fran, who is my wife. We'll meet her next. And um, she, uh, Fran said, oh, I'm in um, neuro, the neurological ward at Auckland Hospital. Your mum's got a brain bleed and we've got to decide whether, um, to, you know, she's got to decide whether to have two holes drilled to, to relieve the pressure. And I have three brothers and they live outside Auckland. They're on the way, but Fran was there and I was overseas. And um, so we decided on the phone, more or less, it was midnight in New Zealand, and we decided more or less, yeah, yeah, we should do this. So I go to bed in Indonesia that night thinking, well, mum might be dead in the morning because it looked, it looked fairly dramatic. And um, so I ring a little tentatively, as you would the next day, and I talk to Fran or one of my brothers or whoever it was, and I say, oh, you know, how's mum? You know, is she alive or whatever? And they say, oh, she's doing really well. She came through. Do you want to talk to her? So they hand me the phone, and there I am talking to mum. Mum is tiny, like tiny. I stood behind her the other day, yesterday, actually, because I'm thinking I'm going to talk about you tomorrow, but I'm not telling you. Um, And so I kind of, I went like this from behind her in her kitchen. So mum's tiny, about that high, and, um, but she's tough. She's a farmer's daughter, and it still shows. But mum's a really traditional woman. So when my mum, my mum and dad worked in the BNZ, and they met in the BNZ, and the day before they got married, mum left her job because women who were getting married were now going to be looked after by their husbands and didn't need to work anymore, and other people needed their job. That was... I don't think that was controversial at the time. That was just what it was. It sounds unbelievable, but in in her lifetime, 90-year lifetime, which isn't that long in in, in a sense overall. Um, So, but so she, and then she was a mum and she served really my dad and his career and those sorts of things. And today, if you asked her, she wouldn't say that she has any regrets about that. So, you know, kind of that would be her story. Now, My wife, on the other hand, is a different kettle of fish. Some people say that men tend to end up marrying somebody like their mother. Have you ever heard that as a phrase? I didn't do that, all right? My wife is nothing like my mother. My wife is uh, is independent. She's strong. She has a a, a strong idea of, um, you know, kind of where life is heading. And she is amazing. I, um, I take some delight today in saying... This morning I drove her to the airport so she could fly to Melbourne um, to be part of a couple of seminars that somebody's asked her to come over and speak at. I mean, that's that's my mother would never think of doing something like that, but my wife, that is something that she enjoys doing, loves to do, and it's been one of the great privileges of our life together to see some of the things that she gets to do opening and flourishing. So that's what Fran is like, a completely different sort of person to my mother. Fran has taught me more about God than any other single person uh, in my life. And she is regularly light years ahead, or say five years ahead of me 
in terms of her research and thinking and what she's talking about. And I'm saying, no, no, no. And then five years later, I realised she was right five years ago. She's a smart, smart lady. Georgia, um, I, I thought of telling you some Georgia stories, but I think that would be a little unfair because um, some, some of them are funny at her. But she's strong, independent, just turned 24, um, sort of um, carving out a career in Wellington, incredibly proud, incredibly proud of her. Inspirational women in my life. These are amazing women in my life, as are the women that I see ahead in front of me here today. Wonderful, wonderful women. What about in the vineyard? Because we're in a vineyard church today and, you know, kind of all of my, you know, pastoral life and ministry has been in a vineyard church. We have an interesting story as a vineyard too. So the vineyard really formed um, in California in, in the early 1970s, came out of the Jesus people. It was very egalitarian to start with in terms of men and women. Um, and then John Wimber, who was our uh, founder, um, sort of developed um, some theology that was, and, and he concluded, if, I think my words are right here, that women could lead, but they couldn't hold certain offices. I'm not 100% sure the, the office thing, but it's some of those overall titles. And that was something that John really felt strongly about as he'd studied the scriptures and, and really believed in. And so we as a vineyard in New Zealand were sort of to some, you know, to somewhat that was how we were in New Zealand. Um, John died in 1997. There was a, a rethink which would took place over time. And then in 2006, um, the vineyard in, in the States, this is, and we've followed them a little, is um, said that women in leadership was a matter of conscience. So 2006. And in 2011, um, women were welcome to full participation in all levels of leadership. And I say that quite excitedly, don't I? But I say that knowing that that was this decade that we have concluded that women were welcome to full um, contribution to these things. I think that's probably a little late overall. Our own journey, Fran and I have probably been ahead of the curve, but I don't think we're, well, I don't think I'm anything to sort of, um, you know, shout out about. I remember when we first started pastoring, we had, um, we had an eldership team, it was all male, all male, had to be all male, of course. So we wanted to have women in our leadership team. And so in, a, in, a, in an act of midnight subversion, never said this publicly before, I don't think any, anybody's still there from then. We stopped having elders, we changed it to senior leaders, we appointed women and it was never a problem. It was sort of like... Oh boy, that was, you know, I didn't even have to fight that one. That was, that's a, that's a really interesting thing that happened along the way. Um, uh, we early on were invited um, by the Vineyard in New Zealand to present a paper at the equivalent of our national conference. It was a camp that we had on women in ministry. I remember Fran and I going out to Laidlaw College, it was Bible College in New Zealand, then talking to a guy called Chris Marshall, and he was the... Um, uh, New Testament lecturer at, um, at, at uh, BCNZ or Laidlaw and, um, you know, kind of a forward thinker on women of those times. And we, we got to share, you know, sort of in the mid-1990s to our national leadership team and we said, you know, sort of a little bit nervous about saying that, but we think that women can do anything. You know, we said it probably in a little bit of a whisper, but it was, it was embraced more or less, um, which, was a, which was a terrific thing as far as that's concerned. So that's something of our story. I don't think it's groundbreaking at all but it is our story nevertheless and it's worth I think sharing in the context of today. The difficulty of course is that the Bible has some pretty clear statements that women are not permitted to do certain things in church or in I guess in ministry. So you have a scripture like 1 Corinthians 14 uh, 34 to 35 says that women should keep silent in church. 
um, for they are not permitted to speak but should be in submission. Uh, If there is anything that they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shameful thing for a woman to speak in church. So, I mean, that's a pretty direct, in-your-face scripture, pretty hard to argue with in a sense because it's so clear. Another one is um, 1 Timothy 2.12. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet um, in the church, I guess. And this, of course, is great fodder for excruciating male jokes about women and, you know, kind of how they keep quiet and, and you know, sort of in the, in the public setting, but they, you know, kind of the, they're pulling the strings behind the scenes and just awful, awful things that I have heard in church contexts, often I think at, by men, I think, well, clearly by men, at the expense of women. And so it's an important thing for us to think about and to be sort of, you know, sort of raised as a, you know, on, on Mother's Day, why not? You know, sort of a good day to do it and just talk about some of those things. So let's talk about the scripture a little bit and then I'll come through to the end where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk some more about inspirational women and what I think we should get out of this. It's interesting, this word authority, and um, this is by no means sort of meant to be the, the uh, you know, the, the ultimate um, exegesis of, of the Scripture, but this word authority is, um, is a word, it's authentien. Usually if you see the word authority in the Scriptures, it's a word, a Greek word, exousia. But in this case, the authority is this thing, authentian. And authentian is usually um, an authority that's given, um, well, let me just, I better say this right. It's an authority that's given in a, domi- in a domineering way, uh, with aggression, sorry. And so there's a lot of scholarship at the moment that's been looking at it and saying probably a better thing was this, is that women, and we'll come back to that in a minute, shouldn't teach in a domineering way, so in a way that is, you know, kind of unhelpful and that is overbearing. And so that seems like a, a you know, an, a, an accurate translation of what this, this word is saying. So that's, that's an important thing to keep in the back of your mind. Timothy, you remember, uh, is, um, he's written in chapter 1 and said, this is a letter about certain people, certain people who are teaching false doctrine in the church. So that's the, that's, the, that's the context of this thing. And it seems that women were among these teachers who were teaching false doctrine. So it was definitely women were involved, but men as well, it would seem. And so if you extrapolate that out, it doesn't seem like Paul is saying, so forever in a day, this is, this is the, you know, at Shaw Vineyard in 2018, so it should always be. And I think there's also a, you know, a, 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 an ironclad, really, understanding of, uh, of interpretation of Scripture is that one Scripture can't, you know, kind of defy the teaching of all of the other Scriptures. And Paul, both in 1 Corinthians and in 1 Timothy, which are the two verses that I'm using today, has extensive passages about talking about how women and men should pray and prophesy in church, and how they should conduct themselves, and it seems just—it seems a natural order that everybody would be contributing to that. And so, um, and and Paul also is—he he champions when we'll come back to this in a little bit in um, Romans 16, but throughout Romans um, about various women who have been significant in leadership. So, so I don't present that as a boy, I'm going to change your mind, or boy, you know, kind of you were wrong or you were right or whatever, but just to say these things are not necessarily as obvious 
as we see and as obvious as it looked like to men 25 years ago when I was starting out in pastoral life and all of that. So very important for us to be aware of. So let me, let me kind of roll through that as a process and this might, might create some conversation and all sorts of things over the next little while and we welcome that. Uh, and let's move back into this whole idea of the inspiration of women, which we want to celebrate today. So I want to I want to pick a couple of a couple of women from the Bible who are who are just particularly in my mind inspirational, and then we'll sort of move on from there. So one of them is a, is, is a lady called Mary Magdalene, and and if you got Bibles, I'd love you to turn to John chapter twenty, and we're going to read Mary's story. We're going to take out the men apart from Jesus who are in it. We're going to because because often we would be more familiar with the men the men, but. But the Mary Magdalene, we read from uh, verses 1 to 3, and then we'll jump to verse 11. So if you're wanting to follow through with me, that'll be great. So it's the Easter story. We're possibly aware of it. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So then the next bit that you'll be familiar with, you can kind of glance over if you want. They run, the men run to the tomb and Jesus is not there and all of that sort of thing, the Easter story. And then we move on to verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus turned, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, and this is the news, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. A really important thing in the context of the culture and the context of the story of Mary, the first person to see the risen Jesus. It's an incredible thing that a woman in that culture would be given that privilege. And in the early church, Mary was known often as the apostle to the apostles. The apostle sort of a messenger, or in some ways it can be that office thing I was talking about before with a capital A. But it's essentially the messenger, the, the, the communicator, the taker of good news. And she was the one who gave the good news, the best of news to the other 11 disciples who were left after Judas. And she was known and tagged as the apostle to the apostles, which is just this incredibly remarkable thing in that context, an inspirational woman of the scriptures. The other one, a woman who I want to just highlight today is, is a woman called Junia. In, in, uh, in Acts 16 verse 7, Paul talks about Junia, Andronicus, um, and himself in prison. And he describes all three of them, including himself, as noted among the apostles, including Junia. Well, the, the great the story of Junia is that at some stage, a, a genius male uh, uh, interpreter, uh, translator of the Bible, 
concluded that there was no way that there could be a, um, a female apostle. And so they changed Junia's name, which is, which is feminine, obviously, to Junius, which is the masculine equivalent. And so for literally hundreds and hundreds of years, we have had the apostle Junius as being a man. And now we know from original texts and all of those sorts of things that Junia was indeed a woman and she was indeed an apostle, which kind of just blows a lot of your, you know, kind of your, your narrow theology out of the water at that point. It's like, man, if she's sitting in jail, rotting with Paul in that, you know, kind of that great explosion of the early church, it's got to say something to us along the way here. It's, a, it's an incredible story. You know, it wasn't changed in the NIV until 2011. In 2011, the NIV, which has been a significant translation for us, um, had an, a major upgrade in which hundreds, if not thousands of references were changed, including the juniors to junior, um, to get it right, because we had been sort of locked into some of those ideas. So what an, what an amazing thing. And I, I thought about this a lot this week. Oh, this is some um, junior in, in the middle here. And, and I was thinking about junior this week, and I'm thinking, I don't know whether this means anything to anyone else, but it's like, this is amazing, you know. In the 21st century, the voice of junior is going to be heard in the church that it's been lost to the church for 2,000 years. And we're going to be the ones, or we are the ones, who are beginning to hear the story, which will reframe our understanding of um, of male and female or, or, or whatever, you know, could be our, our historical perspective or whatever. This is an, it just it feels like a, almost a holy ground thing, that God is restoring something absolutely wonderful for us to take note of. So some conclusions, just to bring us to a conclusion um, this morning. Um, three things, really. I think it's really important for us to realise that God is beyond the masculine and beyond the feminine. But the feminine we have, to, we have to invite. It's easy for us to think of a male God or a God with male characteristics. And we use the personal pronoun, obviously, he and him and his um, all of the time. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a linguist or anything like that, so I don't know how we might change that or could change that or should change it. I'm not sure. Um, but deeper understanding and, and looking will actually discover a whole lot of feminine characteristics of God. Um, and in fact, Calvin's going to be speaking on some of that tonight when he looks from um, the Proverbs at some of the, the representations of God from Proverbs 8, I think it is. So, I mean, if you do want to come back, it is a bit of a two-part series that we're doing today. So 6 o'clock tonight, or you can listen to it on svc.org.nz from Tuesday afternoon. I, I think it'll be useful for us to do that. But I think one of our great explorations into our understanding of God more, not only for women, but, but even, perhaps even more so for men, would be to explore what God the feminine actually means because we get a lot of God the masculine. You know, that's, that's a natural thing, a natural go-to. So, you know, some of those things, I don't even really want to say what they are because it might be too stereotypical, but, you know, some of those things we'd, we would associate with God in a male sense if we were to explore and to be aware of something of God in a, in a feminine sense, what a wonderful treasure that may well unearth for us as we explore those things. So God is beyond masculine and feminine. Um, the second thing is that being a pastor's wife isn't the ultimate um, in ministry. Um, uh, that may be obvious to you. Um, it's certainly obvious to Fran as she wings her way to Melbourne. You know, she's not in the front row cheering me on. Go Vic, go Vic, you know, gave you all that material. You know, there you are doing it because that's what men do. You know, so being a pastor's wife is not the ultimate. It's not the ultimate in any way. And yet for women, often in the church, it's been where well, you could be a missionary. You know, kind of you could, you know, sort of if, if, you're, 
if you're really lucky, meet, a, meet somebody who's going to go and do something, a man who's going to do something great, and you can tag along for the ride. And it's just not that like that at all. So again, slightly subversively, we had a leadership um, um, gathering here actually um, four, three or four weeks ago for the vineyard in New Zealand. And I was organising the timetable for that. And I asked Fran and Jacinda Lilly, who um, is one of our pastors up at Coast Vineyard um, on the Hibiscus Coast, <clears throat> to come and do a se- session called Not Just a Pastor's Wife. And, um, and, 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 you know, I'm sort of saying to Fran, you know, kind of tell them how easy, you know, how good it is for women in the vineyard and, t- you know, tell them, tell them they can do anything and stuff like that. And, and she's sort of getting a bit antsy on me. And as she always does, she researches it and she comes up with the, did you know that it wasn't until 2006 that it was a matter of conscience that women were able to do anything? And did you know until, it wasn't until 2011 that women were actually able to do that sort of thing? And, 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 she's, and she used this word, she said, I just feel angry at the moment. And, um, and, you know, by the time that she shared it, she had worked through some of those things. But it was like, she, we've been pastoring since 1993. So I'm going along, male, 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 you know, kind of thing. This is easy. That's all. It's good. You know, women can do anything. We're already open. And yet there is some sort of ceiling or some sort of um, expectation or some sort of, you know, withdrawal of, of opportunity or whatever it might be that's going on there underneath the, underneath the thing for us. And she's saying, you know, not just a pastor's wife, it may be a freedom that we have now, but we haven't at all explored this to the full. And it's something that we have to do. Being a pastor's wife, I think being a pastor's wife, it is the worst job in the entire world, being a pastor's wife. In the traditional way, you know what the pastor's wife does? They, they do the crash and they do the baking. That's, that's, that's what their job is at the end of the day. I've always felt like... That just sucks, man. What a what a terrible what a terrible thing. So being a pastor's wife is never the ultimate. And then I think if I can just conclude by talking to men, because I think you see the inspiration of women, and thank you for coming, men, because you might well have been off fishing or hunting or something like that and doing sort of really many manly things while you while your women came along, sort of thing. But here you are. So I get a chance to talk to you. You know. I think, we, I think we men need to hear our women's voices. I, I, just, oh, I, I know we need to hear our women's voices. We need to hear our wives' voices if we're married. We need to hear our, our, our women leaders' voices. We, maybe we need to hear our daughters' voices. Um, and it's not only in the church, but it's outside of the church as well that we need to do so. I remember back in, it was this church, but it was before we were pastoring. So we've been pastoring 25 years. So it was in the first few years of the church. We had this service that I still remember as clear as day. And we were very male-dominated, like I said, in, in the beginning of that process. And, and the previous you know, pastors and planters, that, that was even more so. And, um, but we had four women in our church went to a conference or something like that. And they spoke one Sunday morning, all four of them, you know, I suppose got five minutes each or something like that. And they got up, and I'm sitting there in the congregation, and, I'm, and I'm, I find myself, by the end of it, I'm leaning forward thinking, these women say things that I've never heard before. They have a perspective on life and faith and God and, and, and what's right and wrong and good and bad and all of that. And I have never, ever in my time, you know, at that stage, maybe 13 years, 15 years as a Christian, never, I don't think, ever hear, heard a woman speak before. And I have never heard the, I don't know, the nuance or the subtlety or the per- per- perspective or the, you know, the... Um, the taste that is coming through in this thing. And I'm thinking, I want to hear more of that. I, I need to hear more of that. 
And I think, you know, we all need to hear women's voices because women do see things differently, thank goodness, because women do have a perspective that they'll bring to any, you know, I don't know, board table or, you know, dis- discussion that will happen or home or family, whatever it is. And so I think, you know, one of the great areas that we can yet grow and yet know are moving in to understanding those. And so for you who are men here today, I, I want to encourage you to think about that, to even think about, I don't know, your attitudes to listening, you know, kind of to, to women and what they have to say. Because I think sometimes we just, we just default, maybe. So we default to our fathers, who my father, who is a wonderful man, very happy for mum just to serve him all the time. Or we default to, you know, maybe a, you know, sort of a, a strength thing or something like that. But in, instead, I think we need to be people who are open and listening and hearing our women's voices. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the SVC podcast. And remember, if you want to get more messages from our church, you can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. And while you're at it, we'd love it if you would leave us a review. Let us know how this podcast has helped you or ways you think we could make it better. It'd be awesome to hear from you. And also, if you are listening to this the week of release, I want to remind you this Sunday coming, Sunday, May 20th, we're going to be launching a brand new series called Is Like at both of our services. And the beginning of a new series is always one of the best times to head along to church in real life, maybe for the first time, or maybe invite someone along to church with you for the first time. If you are looking for more information on our services or you want directions to find us this weekend, go visit svc.org.nz, svc.org.nz. And until then, or until next time on the podcast, I'm Dan. Have a great week.